1: Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Diasporic, multilingual, compulsively danceable, wildly popular. It's reggaeton day here on the show. In some ways, this is a cosmic music created through the intermingling and reimagining of reggae and hip-hop in the Afro-Latin communities of the Americas. The beat is instantly recognizable and deceptively simple. But the story of its creation reveals a complex web of American colonial power, anti-blackness, political resistance, and raunchy fun. So sit back, or maybe actually stand up, and get ready for the most fun history lesson you're likely to encounter featuring Bay Area musical artists Los Racas y La Doña. That's next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal.
2: Señoras y señores, yes. bienvenidos Welcome. al party. Yeah. Agarren a su pareja por yeah. la cintura y prepárense yeah. porque lo que viene yeah. no yeah. está fácil. No está fácil, no. Yeah. Hey. Yo quiero bailar. Yeah. Quiero sudar so- y a también. El cuerpo rosado, yo te digo si tú me puedes provocar, eso no quiere decir que pa' la cama voy. Quiero bailar, tú quieres sudar y pegarte a mí.
1: That was Evie Queen's hit song, Quero Bailar, from 2002. Evie Queen is one of the icons of reggaeton music, and she's the narrator of the new podcast Loud by Spotify and Futuro Studios that takes a critical look at the origins and evolution of reggaeton from Panama to Puerto Rico to New York and beyond. We have lots to talk about, lots of music to play, so let's get right into it. Joining us for this conversation is Julio Pabón. He's the executive producer of The Loud Podcast and supervising creative producer at Spotify Studios. Welcome, Julio.
3: Thank you for having us.
1: We also have Catalina Eclaston, associate producer and reggaeton historian for The Loud Podcast and creator of Reggaeton con la Gata, a media brand. Welcome, Catalina.
4: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming. And we also have uh, Jessica Molina, creative producer for The Loud Podcast and senior creative producer at Spotify Studios. Thanks for coming on, Jessica. Hi,
5: thanks so much. I'm excited to be here.
1: Uh, Julio, tell us why now is the moment when this podcast needed to be made. Uh,
3: This podcast needed to be made now because it is uh, a moment in time where Reggaeton has become the soundtrack for the world. Uh, on platform, Bad Bunny was the number one most dreamed artist last year.
1: You uh, mean on Spotify? Yeah. On Spotify.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on platform, that's right. And, mm-hmm. uh, y- you know, we have become uh, uh, synonymous with pop music. We are pop culture now.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jessica, your narrator for the podcast is the reggaeton icon, Evie Queen, that we heard um, at the top. Why is her voice so important in this story?
5: You know, Evie is absolutely, when we say that she's the the queen, when she says that she's the the leader of the genre in many ways, um, as a woman and as as a seminal voice, I think that She's someone that so many of us grew up listening to, but at the same time, as a very male-dominated industry, we never got to hear much of her. So this is absolutely our time to, like, I love the way Gata says it, give her her flowers, right? Um, And she's absolutely that person who can speak to the genre because she was a part of the creation of it and is still so relevant in the genre today.
1: What was it like working with her?
5: Oh my gosh, Evie's the best. She is just such a joy. She brings an energy to every project. Um, This is my second time I've been able to work with her. I worked with her on another project um, years ago. And when you work with her, when you step into the room, you know that you are there with a professional. You know that you are there with someone who is absolutely there to show up, give a thousand percent and make everyone in the room feel so special. That's what's so great about it. And what she brought to the project was a personalization that none of us could have provided just by doing our own research, right? Like when you have someone who was there who was in the room who was sweating um at the noise who was you know trying to like do the best that she could and and show up and show out and show that she had the lyrical chops just like every other dude that was out there that brings an energy to a project and it just makes me feel like damn i wish i'd been a
6: part of that <laughs>
1: <laughs> julio I, I want to talk a little bit about how you decided to tell the story i mean it's this kind of rich mix where they're you know there's spanish and there's the english and there's spanglish and it's not it's not one or the other. How did you decide on kind of landing on that style?
3: Uh, you know, it, it was by consensus, but it was intentional in the sense that we wanted to make a podcast for us. I wanted to make a podcast for me and people like me who were born and raised in the United States, but are very much Latino and have as much Latino influence as others and so I didn't want us to be hindered by the fact that we didn't speak Spanish because we feel the culture and when we were partnering up with um, Futuro that was very much their alley and their lane they had been doing that very well in the audio space for a long time already and so it was a perfect blend um, of thought and uh, you know actual process
1: yeah Catalina, I want to uh, define this music a bit for people what makes reggaeton reggaeton
4: Uh, what makes reggaeton reggaeton is a variety of essences um hip-hop is a culture but it's also something that you live and i say the same thing is true for reggaeton it's something that you live um there's essences of of hip-hop um there's a sexy essence that comes with perreo um it's a music of resistance as long as these elements along with the, the very puerto rican genre of bomba which is ancestral to um, well, no, it comes from the roots of Africa. As long as all of these elements are present, um, this is what reggaeton is. It's music of joy, of resistance.
1: Yeah. And there's also, there's also this beat, which people sometimes call dembo or, or pounder, that rhythm. And we have a little clip from the podcast where you all are describing h- how this rhythm came to work. Can we listen to that?
2: Okay. So take pretty much any reggaeton song. Take out everything but the drums, and you're left with this beat. And that beat, that drum pattern, is known as dembow. Today, there's Dominican dembow, but we are talking about the original meaning. As many of you know, the story of dembow begins with one specific song. A song by Jamaican dancehall artist Ranks, called Dembo, made in 1990. Dembo, 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 Dembo. And over time, that beat from that one song transformed into the basis for thousands and thousands of reggaeton songs, to the point where it's become the sound of the genre.
7: Feel
1: the sound that people can identify reggaeton. So, Catalina, where did this rhythm really come from? Like, how, what was its path in the world, actually, like in geography, to, to land in this music?
4: Um, well, it's a very complicated answer, but in short, uh, this music, um, this movement, this musical movement is a parallel movement, right? Um, There were roots that began in Jamaica. You have to give the roots to Jamaica, the flowers to Jamaica, New York, Panama. Um, Essentially, the rhythm or the the beat, the Dumbo beat came from Sleepy Wonder, the Pounder rhythm, um, and that was manifested in um, New York um, alongside Panamanians, right, who popularized, who were obsessed first with this rhythm, which is why we are credited as being the first to make reggaeton. Um, Puerto Ricans just blew it out of the water, right? <laughs> um, but essentially, um, yeah, that's pretty much the trajectory. If you want to get technical, it's New York, Jamaica, Panama with Jamaicans and Panamanians and then to Puerto Ricans and the world after.
1: Yeah. Julio, um, in your podcast, you really take us back to the streets of Panama and where this was really where this was really happening and the community in which it really grew, which was uh, caribbean people who'd been brought by the u.s to the panama canal zone can you tell us a little bit of that story
3: yeah it, it's a it's it's a story that i didn't know until we had done the research on the podcast as well but essentially there were uh you know uh, black panamanians wasn't uh, synonymous with all the black culture in panama there were uh Caribbean, mainly from Jamaica and Barbados, immigrants that had come uh, because of the building of the Panama Canal Zone, and they needed to have American, or excuse me, they needed to have English-speaking labor uh, in Panama. And so that over the years and over the generations, uh, as is the case with one central character in the episode, um, you know, he... Uh, was from the Panama Canal zone, spoke English in school. His mother was a cafeteria worker in the American army bases. And then the Americans got up and left as per the deal with the Panama Canal. And then there had to be a blending of black Panamanians and then these Caribbean immigrants.
1: Yeah. That's uh, Renato, for those of you who are big reggaeton fans out there. And so this this music comes over, and people begin to take these reggae rhythms and kind of translate the songs into Spanish. And what did that become known as, Jessica?
5: Then that becomes a Reggae en Español. And that was a leading moment. Um, and, you know, you really don't have reggaeton without Reggae en Español and the dance hall that...
1: And so we now, you of, know, of that oh, sorry, I couldn't hear you just for a second there.
5: Oh, no, I'm sorry. That that was it. I was just saying the reggae and Espanol that really led to, to this moment, along with the dance hall.
1: Yeah. And so you have you have these uh, black Panamanians who are beginning to translate this uh, this Caribbean music, this Jamaican music into Spanish for people. And then you have this sort of people pinging into New York, right? So people are ending up in Brooklyn where you have Jamaicans there and you have Panamanians there and you have Barbadans there. And there was a particular person who seemed to bring all these people together. Can you tell us a little bit, Catalina, about La Atrevida? La
4: Atrevida is the mother of the Latino movement of one of what we call música urbana or urban music, right? She was the first um, female artist to tour with El General um, to really hone her own space and, and really cultivate, um, well, culture in the basement of her house in in Brooklyn, <laughs> um, which is quite extraordinary. Um, you know. I, I hear Black Panamanians like being tossed around, you know, throughout the conversation. But really, it's it's West Indian Panamanians specifically, Afro and Tain Panamanians, and I make that distinction because there was tension between West Indian Panamanians and Native Black Panamanians um, because of things like respectability and things like that. But La Trévida, um, like I said, like she she was, I, I don't want to curse, but she was she was a badass. <laughs> um, <laughs> She she really honed her own and, and carved the space and spoke to feminist anthems in a time where, well, nobody else was doing it.
1: Yeah. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Form. We're gonna go out into the break with La Atrevida. We've been talking about the history of reggaeton, our new podcast loud from Spotify and Futuro Studios with Julio Pabon, Catalina Ecleston, and Jessica Molina. And we wanna hear from you. Do you have a favorite song you want to shout out? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Back with more reggaeton and Forum after the break.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Bueno, esta es la atrevida con un diferente estilo. Saludando a todos los hombres de San Dulce. Allá en Panamá, Puerto Rico, Santo Domingo, Nueva York. ¡Oigame! Estás dulce, dulce, dulce. Papá sí te estás dulce, dulce, dulce. Estás dulce, dulce, dulce. Papá te estás dulce, dulce, dulce. Desde lo. la primera vez que empezamos a hablar.
1: I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome back to Forum. We switched the cuts up a little bit there, so now you've just heard La Atrevida going out. You heard listener Andres' favorite song from Tego Calderón. We are talking about the history of reggaeton and the new podcast, Loud, from Spotify and Futuro Studios that documents it. We've been talking with Julio Pabon, the executive producer of the Loud podcast, Catalina Eccleston, who is the reggaeton historian for the podcast, and the creator of Reggaeton con la gata, which is awesome. Uh, media brand, find it on TikTok, etc. And Jessica Molina, creator producer of the Loud podcast and i now want to welcome some bay area artists to the show we have raka rich and raka dun of los racas the grammy nominated duo from panama and oakland welcome yo yo back, back. How y'all doing? we're good we're so happy to have you here and i want you to just tell us about how your own particular music your creative vision intersected with this global phenomenon of reggaeton
8: well, you know, we we from the Mecca, you know, we from uh, Mecca over again, in Spanish, so we were we were born in it, you know, it's it's, it's in our blood. Uh, we also have West Indian Jamaican family, you know, so we come we come from the Afro Caribbean, uh, a descendant. But yeah, man, when we started making music, our first our first album, our mix it was called La Tanda del Bus, um, and it, it, we we pick a lot of the old school uh, rhythm from the '90s, mm. and, uh, and we just put put our little flip on it, and we mix it with R&B, uh, R&B and hip hop, Bay Area hip hop. But yeah, that was pretty much the basic of 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 that of that mixtape, trying to teach people, you know, like paying homage to 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 the people that came before us, and you know, just trying to teach people, you know, the history of of the music where we come from. Yeah, yeah.
9: So you got um, ru- oh, go
1: ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
9: Yeah. Um, yeah. but what he was saying was basically because we would have that conversation with a lot of people when they, they ask us about reggaeton and they'd be like, um you know, they didn't know that it comes from Panama. So we like, man, we got to give them the history. We got to um we got to do it how how they did it back in the days. So latanda thought bus it was basically like we would hop on certain beats and translate um the music from from English to Spanish. And then you know we we'll mix it in with also with the hip hop from you know being influenced that we are from the bay as well, so you know we just wanted to educate the people on on where it started, and you know because sometimes I think history gets erased, you know um when when a lot of people start doing things man we we forget about the the pioneers, the people who started it, and I think it's very important because um I was saying it's like you know when you go to church, you know what I'm saying when you go to church you you know you You got to give an offering because you respect the the house of God, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know if that's the right metaphor.
1: But But when you make music, you got to give an offering. You got to respect it. You got you got
9: you got you got to pay homage to the people that started before you because you don't know what inspired them to to come up with with these ideas and what struggle they were going through to come up with these things, because this music comes from from really nothing. It comes from creating um, something from nothing. So for us, it's like being a part of the culture, being like the last generation of the culture, we feel it's important to always pay homage, you know, because Los Roccas wouldn't be where we at. We wouldn't be uh, Grammy nominated. We wouldn't be in the position that we're in if it wasn't for the people before
1: us, you know? You know, how has the rise, you know, to this global prominence, this phenomenon of reggaeton, how, how has it affected people's reception of your music?
9: Um, I think that, You know, in the beginning, it was different, um, but they felt our energy when we would hop on stage, um, especially um, the American people, because they seen two black kids rapping in Spanish. They were like, what is this? They were blown (laughs) away. You know, it's like, what is this? What is this? And then they hear our cadence. They hear our melodies. And we knew that melodies are important because we grew up listening to music from Jamaica. And a lot of the times we don't understand what they were saying. So it's like, you know the melody was it was really what grabbed us right and then um and i think it, it happened for us too like when we decided we wanted to make music we knew that melodies were important so when we were performing in front of these people you know it was taboo it was brand new it was something different and then they'd be like i don't understand what y'all saying but i like it you know that was <laughs> one of that's one of the famous quotes that they say about the <laughs> <"Locraga." laughs> so um so for us it was it was it was a good feeling and then um you know i think that it helped you know, what we, what we contributed, I think, helped a lot for, for now the urban artists of today um, to have that platform where it's not taboo, where, you know, we have uh, American people that want to mix in the Spanish with the music when before it was considered corny. You know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> so one, one last thing before we hear a little bit of your new song, Loco, I, uh, I want to hear how the Bay Area, how you think the Bay Area seeped in there. Like you got your roots in Panama, obviously, but you grew up here. So how did that kind of come into the music?
8: Um, you know, we, we always mix the Bay Area culture with the Panamanian culture. That's why, uh, you know, the first mix it was called Panabay Twist. Um, but, but Bay Area titles a lot, man, about being an independent artist, you know, about doing it yourself. Uh, you don't got to wait for, for a big record label to come sign you. You can have your, you can have your own touring, you can have your own merchandise. Uh, that's why the Bay Area have titles a lot, you know, and to be original.
9: Yeah, yeah, like the sound also, the sound influenced a lot because in the Bay Area, you got artists like E-40, you got artists like Too Short, you got artists like Zion I, and, and you got the Grouch, the living legend. It's like a mix of, of people. And then we were introduced to a lot of things that we had no clue about, like creating our own logos, selling our own merchandise. Yes, going on tour uh, throughout the Midwest, West Coast, and selling our shows in the middle of nowhere. You know, and that's that was important for us to see because, um, you know, it just gave us many options and, you know, it gave us hope to keep keep going.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Raka Rich and Raka Dune of Los Racas, the Grammy nominated duo from Panama and Oakland. Just want to let you know Los Racas will be performing in the Bay Area for the first time in almost two years on Friday, yes. September 10th at the New Parish in Oakland. Um, also just want to say Loco's actually from their most recent album but it was from 2019 and let's hear that thank you from Crown on the show thank you guys thank you I'm Alexis Madrigal here on Forum Today. We're talking about the history of reggaeton and the new podcast, Loud, from Spotify and Futuro Studios that documents it. We're talking with Julio Pabón, executive producer of the podcast, Catalina Eccleston, associate producer and the reggaeton historian, and Jessica Molina, creative producer of the Loud podcast. So um, I want to play another clip from the podcast, Loud, and this is a short one describing a key node in the making of this music, the Noise Club in San Juan, Puerto Rico.
2: The club was in o San Juan, on a little side street, and even from the outside,
4: you feel the music and the beat at the door. It was like... Pa, bu, pa, Honestly, it was the best experience that I have in my life. Teenager, <laughs> going to the club...
1: Jessica, Molina, one of the things that blows my mind about this podcast, about the history of this music, is the way that it kind of explodes globally, but it also has these moments where it's developing in these little tiny communities. And one of those was this club in Puerto Rico, uh, The Noise. Can you tell us about it?
5: Yeah, so The the, the Noise is in La Perla. And if you're familiar with the island, La Perla is um, right in San Juan. And it's, um, I would say, what you would consider today, like the hood, Um, But it's right by the ocean. So you have this beautiful view and, and they even talk about it there. And the noise was actually started by DJ Nelson. And, you know, he had this idea of bringing these artists to come and perform, but he couldn't bring them from Panama. So he had to find people on the island who could perform and do, you know, the reggae in español. And so that's where a lot of that started. That's where Evie, that's where a lot of people cut their teeth, so to speak, was in the noise. And that really, um, you know, helped to form what the sounds that, that we know today.
1: Yeah. Catalina, what what artists, uh, aside from the ones that were just mentioned, What who came out of this scene in Puerto Rico?
4: Um, There is so many. (laughs) Um, There's Michael Iman when there was the opposing uh, teams, right? There was Playero's artists who essentially, um, well, essentially they were part of the noise band. (laughs) Uh Um, Playero poached um, DJ Negro's artists and added them to his mixtapes, right? Um, There was DJ Eric um, who had La Industria, right? Um, So, I mean, Ranking Stone, OG Black, the beauty of this time is that there was a lot of Black Puerto Ricans um, creating music during this time. Um, the genre, of course, has made some changes um, in regards to its repertoire, but this time was very, very Black. And I think it's it's lovely to highlight the emoji Black, Michael Superstar, DJ Blast. Um The producers really did their thing um, and really challenged others. Evie Queen, the only woman. Um, it's, it's, it was a magical time in history.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it really does seem that way, actually. And I think, you know, the star that sort of popped to global prominence out of this scene, right, is Daddy Yankee. Um, and Julio, can you tell us a little bit about sort of how that happened, how sort of one person sort of emerges out of this uh, scene? And of course, all these other people are still <laughs> famous in their own rights. But this guy becomes sort of uh, the global megastar.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, the podcast is almost built to like these, these central moments around the timeline of the genre that without these moments, the genre would almost cease to exist, or at least we wouldn't be talking about it today as a global soundtrack. Um, Daddy Yankees like moment uh, is is one of those is, is one of those like watershed sort of genre bending, defining moments in the timeline. how he got there is super interesting now i don't want to give too much away from the podcast but because that that episode it's okay i promise (laughs) (laughs) but you know there 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 are these cool facts that come out throughout these stories that you know without without these things uh he 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 doesn't get to be daddy yankee uh you know for example uh, he was a baseball prospect um Mm -hmm. for the seattle mariners and uh you know, an unfortunate circumstance happened. Again, I can't go into too much detail, but an unfortunate circumstance happened. And without good, you know, oh, that, oh my producer telling me it's okay. So. Uh, oh, we
1: lost you just as you were spilling the beans. So I can fill in the story. Daddy Yankee was a baseball prospect. And in a, in a case of mistaken identity, he gets shot. And what uh, grows. He
3: gets caught in the crossfire and.
1: Yeah. Oh no, we're losing him. So. While we get him back, let's actually listen to the song that just absolutely blew up in this way all across the world Daddy Yankees Gasolina. That was Daddy Yankee's Gasolina. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. And we're talking about reggaeton. And I wanted to ask Catalina, you know, there are some parallels and and also some divergences in the history of reggaeton and hip hop. And I was wondering if maybe you could talk about a few of those, just the the way that it was sort of viewed by mainstream culture, the way that it was adopted, the way that it was co-opted. Just talk to us a little bit about those those parallel uh, histories.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's lovely to, to say that Latinos were also had a hand in the creation of hip-hop. Um, black Latinos were right there, right? Um, working with Cool Hark and the Bronx, right? Um, the New Yorkans were there present. So really, um, I love that you said parallel. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I love that, you know, there's this um, intention of, of speaking of how it's, not so much as a crossover, but if not a a collaboration, right? Just occurring in these different spaces. If it's in the Bronx, if it's in PR, if it's in Panama, it's black people being black, really. Um, And celebrating joy and resistance. Hip hop was born out of the civil rights movement, right? Reggae was so powerful that Bob Marley was able to join in together opposing sides in Jamaica, right? Panamanian West Indians who worked in the canal who were fighting against El Deni or the private police force um, and were being called, you know, negative names like El Chombo and, and having their livelihoods um, threatened um, found this music as a, as a motive of resistance, right? As, as we hear in episode one from Reggae Sam and, and Renato. In Puerto Rico, there was Mano Dura Contra Screaming or the Iron Fist Against Crime where, you know, <laughs> my God, it pretty much set the precedent for the militarization of police here in the States. Um, you know, so in each of these different sectors of of life, like there was um a reason to panic, a reason to worry for your livelihood and your life, and a joy that was found with this music and and I think that's one of the it's so beautiful and it's really speaks to how really interconnected we really are,
1: yeah, Catalina, you know this is a political music uh, just by by its very nature, where it was born and that history that you described so. Why do most people kind of know this music as dance music? Then,
4: well, it is. Um, I would say that there's there's phases of this music, right? Um, this music started with hip hop, rap, right? Um, and which essentially the rhythm and poetry is is allowed to express whatever aspect of life um, you know the artist wishes to express, whether it's sex, whether it's you know love, drugs, whatever, right? Um, and however they're they're choosing to survive, right? Um, a lot of people can't relate to that in the mainstream level, right? They can um, relate to the idea of wanting better for yourself. And that's something that I feel like a- anybody, any human can really resonate with. And I feel like on the mainstream level, um, you know, there's this sort of a desire to try to, you know, keep things happy. So I feel like reggaeton has gone through an evolution and it's not necessarily a bad one, you know. Um, I feel like, you know, as we get closer to to this pop, it's it's as Julio said beautifully earlier, we are pop culture now. And I think because of its um, popularity, we are able to transcend markets and really, um, you know, break down barriers in a way that hasn't been done before. And I feel like that requires people to move. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I feel like that, that has been going on in reggaeton for quite some time now. Cool.
1: I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. We've been talking about the history of reggaeton with the producers of the new podcast, Loud, from Spotify and Futuro Studios. And we asked you to send us some of your favorite reggaeton artists and songs. And, man, we got a lot. Tego Calderon, Daddy Yankee, Nicky Jam, Bad Bunny, and Ozuna. And on the way out of this segment, we're going to hear a little Ozuna. We'll be back with more on reggaeton and reggaeton's history after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We've been talking about the history of reggaeton and a new podcast called Loud from Spotify and Futuro Studios that documents it. We've had Julio Pabón, the podcast executive producer, Jessica Molina, another executive producer on the podcast, and Catalina Ecléston, who is the associate producer and reggaeton historian for the podcast and creator of Reggaeton con la Gata. Joining us now is Bay Area singer Cecilia uh, pena a.k.a. La Doña, whose song Nada Me Pertenece, we just heard a bit of. Welcome to Forum, La Doña.
10: Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be on with y'all today.
1: Yeah. Um, I, Mexico and San Francisco are not exactly known as the hotbeds of reggaeton. So how did this musical form come into your music?
10: Well, this is a type of music I... I... I grew up in a musical family. So I grew up playing um, a lot of regional Mexican music and a lot of just Latinx dance music, you know, as, as professional musicians. Um, and as I was a performer since I was seven years old. So we played all types of Afro-Diasporic, Afro-Latinx music, cumbia, merengue, um, ballenato, um, you know, plena, rumba, salsa, lo que sea, anything to make people dance and to have a good time. And that's... Uh, that's really just typical of coming from the Bay Area. It's a very diverse uh, community of Latinx people, and you find so many different practices. You find so many different um, types of, of families engaging you know, across, uh, across ethnic backgrounds and, and imagined borders, right? So I grew up listening to all types of different music, playing all types of different music, and then I think it was in probably the early 2000s when I went to middle school, finally, it was like this huge Um, just this huge wave I would say it was for me personally it was the first wave of reggaeton that really just popped off and it was everybody all the chicanos all of the the little like hood rats everyone that was just all the time hanging out in the mission and in San Francisco we would all listen to reggaeton and it became you know what they would play in our school dances it's what you would hear in the yard and it really um, it just disseminated across across the city and it's it's you know just so in unequivocally like just so moving and by lovele and so beautiful and it connects I I feel like it for me it personally connected um, this culture that I was also participating in of hip hop Bay Area hip hop and the hyphy movement it really um, in certain ways connected that. Um, that culture and that world um, to the world of traditional music that, that I grew up in, traditional Latin music. So I felt like, oh, finally, this is my key. This is who I am. This is where I exist. Um, and I felt really connected to it.
1: And you also felt like you had kind of something to add to this history. Can you tell us about Femeton?
10: Yeah, so Femeton is a word I started using um, when I first started creating this music a couple years ago. And for me, femetón was a way to explain just like the recentering of the feminist or fem narrative um, in in my music um, that does definitely is based in and draws a lot from reggaeton. So femetón for me was a way of just asserting that no, this is. I mean, if you're listening to my music, then you're gonna hear about the struggles of um you know female struggles and and women and non-binary and queer struggles that are centered in a lot of the songs you're gonna hear about okay yeah we're used to talking about sex we're used to talking about sexual conquest and being a player and whatever but in this sense it might be a little different because it's my story and it's coming from me and my home girls. um so i felt like at that moment it was really important for me To kind of um delineate or or to present that this was what you're getting into if you're engaging with my project then this is really um where you're diving in but also at this moment i don't use it so much um, because i i feel like it might work to obfuscate the roots of reggae and, and dance hall in this type of music and i feel like you know that's also super important to um, to recognize and to always observe and, and to promote those roots and that history, um, that, that, yeah, that story, the ethnomusicological story. So I don't use it so much anymore. And instead, you know, but I still have the same focus, which is to recenter a feminist narrative and experience um, in, in the center of this musical, you know, performance and production.
1: Yeah. Before we let you go, what reggaeton do you listen to today? Now, what are the what are the uh, artists or the tracks that you really love now?
10: You know what? I'm still stuck in sixth grade. Like I still <laughs> listen to like primarily the oldies. Um, a lot of Tego, a lot of Don Omar, who obviously gave me some inspiration for my for my name, um, La Doña. So yeah, I'm I'm stuck in the past. I listen mostly to like the, the the older reggaeton, but also I have a huge respect for and um love for all the new like nail Perreo girls, Miss Nina, um, uh, La Favi, all of these women that are really kind of taking a lo-fi hip-hop production um take on reggaeton and doing their own kind of freaky like really different and chopped and screwed version of reggaeton. So I'm, I'm existing in those two spheres.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Cecilia Pena Gobea, the singer who performs as La Doña. Um, Thanks so much for coming on this morning.
10: Thank you for having me.
1: We want to add in some of our listeners into this conversation, and we have some great callers. I'd like to add uh, Lemoyne from San Mateo.
7: Hi. Good morning, and hi. Good morning, and thank you so much for the show. Um, you know, I want, and I want to also express the uh, appreciation for the shout out to Panama. Um, you know, it really took me back uh, to my hometown of Colon uh, in the mid '80s, uh, mid to late '80s, uh, which was a time of real social confrontation uh, internally around the government of, of Manuel Noriega, and and a period of confrontation with the United States that uh, ultimately led to the invasion. Uh, in December 1989. And I, I remember the early bands, El General and, and Nando Boom, uh, were really born in that era of confrontation. And and I remember during the invasion uh, a song by Nando Boom, uh, El Desorden, uh, which began with the refrain, uh, Ya empezó el desorden, uh, you know, the disorder has begun. Um, and it really was the, the the soundtrack in many respects for a lot of us of that time period and of that confrontation and ultimately the invasion by the United States. So great, great show, and it really uh, reminded me of a, a very hot time in, in Colombia.
1: Thank you. Well, uh, stay, stay with us for just one sec, if we if we can. We're gonna listen to El General, and then I have a couple. Just one more question for you when we come back on the other side of this music. <laughs> LeMoyne, one more question for you. What do you make of the way that this music has poured forth from this region all across the world?
7: Well, I don't know that I'm qualified um, to comment on that like your guest, certainly. Um, (laughs) You know, it was a period of social confrontation, and I think that's a theme that a lot of people have been talking about. Um, and all the contradictions and tensions uh, around the country, uh, around politics, around sexism, around homophobia, all of that stuff came out at that time in a real, real hot time in Colum. Um And uh, so a great shout out to my hometown of Colón. <laughs> so thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Jessica Molina, executive producer of The Loud podcast. You know, the, the United States during this period... Um, just before and going into the time when Reggae and español and and reggaeton are being developed, its all, all kinds of involvement in Central America. Um, how did you approach kind of that that history? Like not just you know the intra country problems that were going on in Panama and other places, but also that sort of American colonial influence throughout the Americas.
5: That. it's obviously something that we knew that we needed to discuss, right? Because it wouldn't be for, if it wasn't for the need to construct the Panama Canal, you wouldn't have had these immigrants in this community. And then this musical sensation that came out of it, right, would not have happened. So I think that we discussed it the same way that we discussed all sort of complex issues in the sense of saying, we need to recognize that these are all complicated. We need to recognize that there was a, And and there was a hand that the American government had in displacing individuals, in taking territory from uh, certain individuals. And this is why we have these individuals who were living in these zones. And through that, through those experiences, they still were finding their joy. They still were finding their home and their place and trying to mark their own territory after baby being displaced and taken from or, or, you know, having a reality which no longer allowed them to feel safe in their own homeland yeah
1: thank you let's go to
11: leo in san jose hello hey welcome hey how's it going now i just i wanted to comment that i'm just floored that you guys are actually doing a show on reggaeton like this and it just like (laughs) it taps into uh, my childhood in the early 90s and it's just so prideful like it was just a, a music that at the time, because, you know, I uh, was born in Puerto Rico, but came to the States. I was uh, living in the South and, and and in the hood. And it was a thing that, yeah, there was rap and I, I, I was able to diffuse with rap. But something about these uh, like reggaeton uh, uh, mixtapes that it gave me a sense of pride in hearing that it, it had that reggae, it had that hip hop, but with that Latin infusion. And also that it bridged the gap between me and my parents, because, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, El Combo, uh, uh, um, or El Gran Combo, uh, Luis Manuel, Cuatro Cuarenta, you know, Merengue, all that kind of stuff. And the, the reggaeton made a, a bridge for me and my father, because c- then he started listening to more hip hop, and he would buy me, like, thugs and Harmony, things of that <laughs> nature. <laughs> and we just started collabing on music together, and I just, I don't know, it's so prideful to hear hear about it, you know. So I, I just wanna give you and your um your guests just just shout and like thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> oh man.
1: And definitely check out this podcast. If you like this music, it's going to blow your mind. And you also just reminded me of my dad and I listening to Snoop Dogg in our station wagon. Uh, One of the greatest memories of my my childhood. Um, Let's bring in um, Suzanne from Napa, California.
12: Hi there. I, I too, am enjoying the podcast and have a lot of great memories uh, growing up in Miami in the Cuban-American community, and and one of my favorite songs was... uh, Mayor Que Yo by Wilson Añandel. And, Yandel. and um, you know, they, uh, the, the, the phrase of dale cuarentona, we loved. And now that I am a cuarentona, we still call each other by that, which is, you know, a, a lady jamming in her 40s. But uh, <laughs> what I want, my question to the podcast uh, producers, uh, I would love their thoughts on the song Patria y Vida, which has some reggaeton elements, but talking about social confrontation and the impact that that has had on the island of Cuba and sort of their thoughts on, on reggaeton and, and, and the interplay um, of what's happening in Cuba.
1: Ah, Suzanne, thank you so much. Uh, Carolina, do you want to, to give that one shot?
4: Hi, I want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly. She said um, La Trevida um, and its influence on Cuba.
12: No, not La Trevida. The song uh, "Patria y Vida" by Yotuel and Gente de Sona and, and a couple of other. Um, it's 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 a mix of, of there's some reggaeton elements. It's it's kind of a a, a blended uh, song, if you will,
2: ah. and kind of the
12: impact that's you know causing all the um all this turmoil on the island for good turmoil in, to bring about change.
4: Oh, I apologize. I didn't hear you correctly. I know the song, Padre de Vida by Gente de Zona, Yo Tuelen, De Seme Bueno. I think the song is impactful and it really speaks to, you know, how reggaeton has really been cultivated really in in general, right? As a medium of resistance. Um, They're just using this as, as a tool to speak to a larger crowd and and. I, I say the legacy continues. I think it was an absolutely beautiful song and, mm-hmm. and important too. And I love that it's motivating the people of Cuba. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Julio, um, tell me about, you know, when you hear all these great stories about the social impact and importance of this music to different peoples across you know, all these Afro-diasporic communities, what did you see as the mission for this
3: podcast? You know, for us, it was trying to tell as definitive of a story and document the history as as accurately as possible. Um, There are so many stories on like hearsay and myth. And, you know, it sort of has like these like very like mythic origins, the way hip hop did about what was the first mixtape and who did the first verse in Spanish and who did the first verse on a reggae beat versus a hip hop beat and whether it was Puerto Rico or Panama. And I think because of the popularity in, 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 and, and reggaeton's influence in the cultural ethos right now, it was the perfect time to do it, but we also wanted to do it as accurately as possible. And so, you know, from early on, we just knew that, you know, there was no presentation of culture without representation of culture. And so we had to get the right people together to tell this story. Uh, and everything from, from the inception was, was very intentional in that way.
1: I want to bring in one last call, text in Sacramento. Go ahead.
11: Hi there um, I'm really enjoying the, the show, and it's really good to. I've learned something new regarding reggaeton being a like a protest kind of genre now in places like Cuba, something I never thought of, but I'm just more of a kind of guy that I want to pay homage to where the roots of of uh, San Juan, of music is coming from. And, and I'm not with somebody mentioned shabarangs and that is awesome. And I think uh, we kind of skimmed through that. I think it would just be nice to play anything by shabarangs and, and, and pay homage to reggae and hence the term reggaeton is not just toned but it's reggaeton. So let's play some reggae and let's play some shabarangs <laughs> and people who actually, really, actually inspired others to play this music. But this was really good podcast. And I'm really glad to hear that. Uh-huh.
1: Thank you, Tex. I I don't think we have any Chavaranks queued up right now, so I can't play it for you. But people at home, you can definitely go um, take a listen. Um, Catalina, I wanted to ask you one last question, which is, you know, we saw the most streamed song, um, I think of all time, is Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, which has this kind of reggaeton beat, but sort of turned to Ed Sheeran style. What do you think of it?
4: I think it's a great song and <laughs> I wish there was a uh you know an actual reggaeton remix. <laughs> I wish there was some more um you know Latino you know visibility but I think it's a great song and it really speaks to how our sound is what we say pegajoso. It's it's um you can't get enough of it. It's really you know it's, it's pegajoso. I re- translating it into English really doesn't do it justice. It's pegajoso it really sticks to you, right? It's
1: yeah yeah
4: popular. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I think of the song. I think it's great, but um, let's, let's see Latinos more in these sort of, um, when these sort of instrumentations are present, you know? Yeah.
1: We've been talking about the history of reggaeton and the new and very excellent podcast Loud from Spotify and Futuro Studios with Catalina Esquiton, the associate producer and reggaeton historian, uh, Jessica Molina, the executive producer of Loud, and... Julio Pabon, executive producer of Loud. This segment was produced by Ariana Prale, and it was so beautifully. Forum is produced by Tina Lauberg, Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Nina Sperling. Susan Britton is lead producer for The 10 O'Clock. Our acting senior editor is Judy Campbell. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurr, and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Kimia Akbar and Jennifer Ung. Our executive editor is Ethan Tova, Kutovan Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. And we'll go out with another listener favorite, It's Bad Bunny.